You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source. So welcome back, everyone. As you can see, uh, this is not Melissa Zalouf. This is Jasmine. Um, Melissa is having some technical difficulties at home, so I'm going to be taking over for this episode. Um, as a reminder, you're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing, and of course, playing mobile games. Um, today, I'm here with Sophie Vo. Uh, she's the GM at Savage Games and the founder and host of the Rise and Play podcast, also a great one that you guys should be listening to. So Sophie, thank you so much Hi. for uh, well, being on the show really today. It's nice to be here because I do know a bit of your team and we've been working together like on articles on leadership. So I really appreciate uh, being invited uh, on the podcast and being a guest for a change to talk about yeah, leadership. Yeah, I'm sure it's always <laughs> going to be different now that you're not used to being the host. You're going to be interviewed. <laughs> Um, and also to anyone listening, Sophie has a ton of articles on our Medium channel that are also really great um, about some of the topics we're going to be talking about today. So definitely go check those out as well. Um, all right, so let's get started. I want to set some background on yourself, Sophie, um, so that the audience can get to know you a bit better. You've been leading teams in mobile games specifically for like a decade now. Um, and you have your own podcast, like we said, um, which is about leadership in the industry. What would you describe as your leadership superpower? Uh, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one. Let uh, <laughs> I would say for sure, experience has been uh, really helpful, and to crystallize like my vision I have about leadership or conscious leadership uh, today. Uh, but I would say I have always had a very high interest in people understanding uh, how people interact, work together. So it's a human puzzle has been always very fascinating for me because what's uh, behind the motivation of um, improving your skills uh, in leadership is also the motivation, like why do I care about it? And uh, I would say here as well for the context, uh, since I've been a kid, I... I have a like family background, like as immigrants, so always trying to find my place somewhere. Uh, growing up in France, and also I have mm -hmm. worked in Germany, in Finland, and in games you work with so many different cultures, multi, you know, nationalities, uh, a lot of passion, and I have found this to be the most complex challenge, but the one that I have navigated uh, through all my life, and that has uh, given me. Uh, not only the interest, but understanding uh, how to work with uh, people from different perspectives, different background, different opinions, different ways of being, and uh, creating the opportunity to create a, a very creative teams and companies uh, in that sense. Nice. Yeah. It's so like, I mean, we always learn that diversity and all of this really brings you like empathy and how to I guess, interact with other people. And it sounds like that background really let you like lead into that leadership, uh, lean into that leadership uh, aspect um, of being able to like empathize with different kinds of people. Um, it reminds me, I actually, I just saw, I think Mishka, who's <laughs> a good friend of our, like this podcast as well, such a nice post about you. I think it was today or yesterday, kind of about exactly about this. Um, so that's like, you know, myself, um, well, you can kind of call me an immigrant as well. Like I'm from New York and I'm living in Israel. Um, so it's definitely like I'm always in awe of people who can bounce around like that. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, and make something out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's talk more into like the heart, I guess, of what this episode is about, which we're going to be talking about leadership and games um, and all of that. So what are your views in some of the way the games industry is different in terms of leadership than, let's say, other industries? So games is really, uh, first, it's a very young industry. Uh, sometimes we think like it, it's been there for so long, but compared to other uh, industries that have been there for centuries, it's still a very young industry. And so uh, it, it's, it has started really from the creative side when I think of movies, you know, music, production. Uh, many people who are passionate, driven by something like they want to create, uh, self-express. And this is also the other side of a coin here where uh, as companies have been formed uh, or teams have been formed around a game, around a vision, around a creative director, sometimes uh, there's also, we are catching up as an industry in the maturity of other industry when it comes to management methods. How do you uh, stabilize a company? How do you uh, build a sustainable company that can live and thrive over not five years, but 10, 20, 30 years. And uh, where there's a lot of passion, I think that passion I have observed as well in terms of leadership has uh, not been uh, channeled or um, where it's, it's a learning uh, journey on how to channel this passion into more professionalism, uh, management and those things that we learn in, I don't know, mm-hmm. business schools or management books that are still, I would say, very work in progress in our industry. So it's combining the both, right, where you have both, both of the best, uh, uh, the best of the two worlds, uh, where one is really creative, but then the other is like structured professional, while you want to keep it fun. And this is the balance, I think, mm-hmm. to find. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I think about it now, like games, it's I guess what so many like young children like love and would like love to grow up into like doing games their whole life. It's not like somebody is like five years old being like, I want to be an accountant, right? Like this is that passion you talk about. Um, definitely very strong. And I guess we'll we'll talk soon and how do you actually strike that balance between the passion that you're talking about and still making sure that things are structured and mm-hmm. moving because at the end of the day, it is a business. Um, so let's also, let's dive in a bit more into your background. I know that you've worked both at very like established companies like Rovio and then more, uh, well, it's not so new anymore, but back when you were there, Voodoo was also kind of, um, coming into itself. Um, and now you're the GM of Savage Games. This is also kind of a young, uh, company. Um, what's been consistent throughout like these different phases that like stages i guess of a company life cycle in terms of leadership and mm-hmm. and at the same time consistent so they are of course well. uh, quite different companies and different context and, and maybe here for the context uh, before i answer the question I, i'll i'll elaborate a bit more so rovio indeed when i joined was uh, quite established uh, but still like it's fascinating when i think about it uh, it's quite common you enter a company and they are in a transition of a new business or something. So when I joined Rovio, was developing, trying to get <laughs> uh, mature into casual games, free to play, because originally the company was premium uh, okay. with Angry Bird titles and really trying to be um, a leader in casual and puzzle games. So that's the studio I joined. So that was the context. So it was in the middle of a change, uh, trying to grow internally after being a, a co uh, developer uh, with external developer, Rovio wanted to develop really internal games. So I was in the middle of that. 
uh, Vodou was in the context that building the first casual studio for a hyper-casual company. So yeah, yeah, the, the thing by itself was oh, okay. uh, the challenge really, uh, how, how will we do it? And Savage Games is also kind of a similar story where it's the first mobile studio at PlayStation. What does it mean? What does it imply? How do we even work? So in the three situations, although they are very different company, different culture, it was a context of change and transition. And what I was uh, consistent here, it's more about um, the framework and the method, right? So you, in all of this situation, I have had to learn, uh, have an, a full audit of the situation. Okay, where are we? Uh, what's the current culture? What are the current challenges? What was the past? So spending a lot of time talking to people, uh, whether at the headquarter, when I was at Voodoo, um, it's the same case here at Savage Games, um, the history, uh, the also dark legacy, and also where we are today and where, we, where do we want to go. So there's always like in those moments, understanding, taking the time to understand where are we now and what are the challenges. And then it's defining the vision. It's like, okay, where do we want to go? Um, why? Why is a big question as well. And are we the right people with the right skills to do it? So that I would say is consistently has been the same yeah. challenges, uh, like in the order, but of course, different application, different uh, solutions. Uh, but my approach has always been the same uh, in all the three cases. But my approach has been different because it's depending on the context, once again. What are the challenges? Sometimes the challenges are structural. Uh, we we have to change the way we are organized, the structure as team, or the way we make uh, decisions. Um, other cases, it could be purely you know, manage, management level. So do we have the people with the right skills managing this team or managing this company? And if not, what are we doing to get there? So, uh, yeah, uh, we, I can get in detail some of those, but uh, this is where I would say it's consistent. And, and when you really like deconstruct, dissect everything, it comes down to the human. <laughs> it always comes down like it's the human interaction and collaboration. Yeah. How do you make a group? And the bigger you are, the more challenging it is. See the same thing to go in the same direction and uh, work in a similar way. So all the efforts are, you know, are really like energized in the same direction instead of being, you know, uh, distracted in different direction. Is it is it a coincidence that you come into these companies during big changes, or it's like what you're attracted I, now to? Now that I, I guess. talk about it, uh, I would say it's probably not a coincidence um, <laughs> because uh, in, in in the in what I'm I'm really interested in in the work. And that's why sometimes I ask myself, like, oh, I would really love to uh, stay uh, 10 years in the company and, uh, you know, grow and thrive there where I see some, some uh, peers in the industry can do that. But uh, the reality is my changes have been mostly every three years. Not that, that I wanted to, uh, but definitely back to the question, like, what is my superpower and what is really where I can spend my energy and yeah. where I can have the most impact? has been really in transformational uh, places where, okay, I, I really I, I really understand what the change requires. And I also understand what is really the essence of how to help the change and transition. So that's something that I'm really interested uh, in and that I have uh, found that I have really good skills to uh, navigate through a complex environment. 
like I said, like humans, uh, history of a company, a structural, financial, strategic, and really make sense of it, structure it, and then find a path forward. I want to get to the actionable side of everything that you've been talking about, because I think you have a lot of experience, like you said, um, and it's really nice in theory to think about how do I make and structure a great team, Um, but people can always come away with great tips from yourself. So maybe we can even go back to something that you said earlier in terms of balancing that passion with structure in the company and how you would approach that um, if there is an actual approach to it or it's kind of Mm -hmm. um, like... It starts really by acknowledging that it's there. I I, I can say, uh, assuming like most people are joining the gaming industry because they love games or they have a passion for something that is either the games or the process of making games or now we're free to play. There's a whole, you know, business of data, complexity. So there's passion uh, from the beginning. So knowing that, starting that uh, with that as a baseline, it's about uh, understanding the motivation of uh, people. So something I always start with, like for people I, I lead, understanding uh, what's uh, what's motivating for them. Why have they chosen to be in this industry? Why have they chosen this company, this role? And accompanying uh, people, whether it's even the management team sometimes, are, are there uh, using their full potential to to do the things that they really want to do or they're that capable of doing because at the end of the day when you pick a role uh, and responsibility especially i think of it um, in terms of lead uh, leadership roles by leadership roles i mean any kind of role where you are responsible of uh, leading a group uh, leading a project or influencing a group so i focus on those where it's really important that you have clarity why you're here and so my first step is really uh, deconstructing with a person are they taking this role for the right reason or do they have the right skills and so we spend a lot of time in development talk again what's what are you motivated uh, about uh, what are your strengths uh, and how are they serving you in this role and what are the gaps and something I think um, a lot about when we have this conversation because sometimes it can lead to a conclusion like well you know maybe Maybe you're not me- meant to, to lead. Maybe you actually like to do a lot of things and there are other rules right. uh, for you in uh, this company, hopefully, uh, that you can get uh, to do a lot of the things you're passionate about and you happen to be really good at. And for others who are sometimes, I would say, looking more less experienced in terms of hard skills, but have all the attitude to be great leaders, I would give them more of a chance and the opportunity because... Mm-hmm. 50% of the role when you are leading, it's a lot by influen- like influence, uh, influencing others. So it's communication skills, especially mm-hmm. these days. It's like, how can you listen? Uh, do you have empath- empathic skills? Um, can you Are you devoted to grow others and not just, um, you know, uh, do a, a role that I, to express yourself like a creator? And that's, that's not a good match when you want to lead because you are creating indirectly. You are creating by the creation of others. So what you're creating is more the environment, the culture, the yeah. setup for others to create. So it's quite different. So I would say here the practical thing from the beginning is really at an individual level, understanding the motivation uh, and skill match to the role. And I would repeat that often 
at the end of the day, and I ask many COOs or CEOs about it, it's having the right people in the right place. That really comes down to that. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to have like a conversation with someone and say, like, maybe it's actually time to rethink your role and uh, and like, how did that move forward? I'm curious. And for this conversation like. to happen on an objective level, because it's really hard. Uh, and again, it's like starting with empathy. Imagine you are, have been promoted to a role, you try your best. Right. And you know deep inside that you are not doing so well with the role. And then your manager comes to you and is like, maybe you should not be in that role. And it's a conversation that doesn't feel good at all. Right. So I like to work with very uh, clear systems before you get to that conversation. So all the work actually is what happens before where first, have you established a clear expectation of what the role is? And uh, what I work with, uh, I worked, uh, I established that as well when I joined um, six months ago, Savage Games, mission cards. I love to work with mission cards and it's a bit different from a job description okay. because here you uh, uh, describe very concretely uh, with specific goals and measurable goals what are the outcomes expected of your job. And as you write that for your role, then uh, others start to see as well what are their roles so you don't overlap on each other's roles. That's really important. And also you have the right expectation on, on someone's work. So this is already one conversation when you start to write a mission card with your report or your lead, a reality check, like, are we aligned in burning the expectation of the work? And then the other part of it, that system that makes it more objective is uh, having a process of uh, feedback, but uh, what we have, like, we know more and we call it usually performance feedback, I call it 360. Basically, you have feedback from peers, report, your manager, against your mission card and against the principles and the values or the traits behaviors that are expected of you in this company. So something I'm also working on these days is a leadership manifesto to put very concretely what are the traits and behaviors that we expect from people and not just words of values. And when you are assessed against those things that are very concrete that has been agreed in a group, then it's much easier to have a conversation. Look, for example, a trait of leadership that we expect from any leaders in this company is eliminating gossips. Unfortunately, you have also been contributing mm -hmm. to gossips. And it's not wrong, but it's wrong for this role. And we expect much higher from you in this role yeah. where you have to be impeccable in your behavior so we can eliminate a culture of gossips. And so when the expectation is clear, it's like, the conversation becomes like, it's it's a very hard responsibility to have because you have to check your behavior all the time. And maybe for you, it will take a lot of energy to get there, where for yes. others, it might be more natural because they, they really care deeply about that. And maybe it's ingrained in them already to not do it. So are you in the right role to do this? And it will be less harmful for you to be in a role of, I don't know, senior. And sometimes you can, uh, you know, uh, I would say... Um, drift a bit it will be forgivable because not you don't have like a whole team looking up to you and somebody will correct you anyway right. uh, but you can focus on your hard skills work right so the expectations are different if you are in a leadership position on your behavior than if you are in a senior role or technical role not to say that it's 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 uh it excuses more of the behavior but the consequences are lower and so this this is where you can have a objective conversation and pragmatic is, is this really the role for you that you feel uh, fulfilled and, and thriving? And if not, 
we have our rules here where expectation might be lower on that level, but higher on the hard skills or delivery. Yeah, I think that's huge. If I mean, if I learned anything about being a manager, it's that setting and aligning expectations from the start is the most important. Um, and I think especially in the gaming world, like what, like what we said before, just to make it a bit more specific to this industry, um, people are coming in with such passion that, like you said, it's hard to come in and just be like, you're not doing this the way we want you to. Like that can't be the conversation, right? It needs to be objective and based on preset values, like you said, mm-hmm. that are specific to whatever studio that you're working in. So that's huge. And I wonder if like, I mean, you even know this better than me, if studios are already kind of working in this model or is this kind of like a new thing that you're trying? Yes. So to, to answer your question, I'm every places I've been to, that's what I've been trying to do. That's why my work is endless. <laughs> I guess I, I, as long as uh, we have... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, places, organization that uh, can um, benefit from having more structure and clarity. I, I will. I think I will always have a job. Um, so uh, the reality <laughs> I've observed now, I have been in uh, many places enough to like, I don't know, five, six companies over over more than a decade. And the, the hard step I have found, so usually companies have values. What is really hard is they're the right. ones that they think they want and the one that they're actually having. And this is where the discrepancy is most mm. of the times because, again, it's theoretical. It's like I, I, We want a culture where we are creating um, safety, like we are inclusive. And you can say whatever you want at the end of the day, but then the behavior that usually the leaders would have in the company is not matching what they want. And this is where the hard work is, is start with what you have, and if you don't like what you have or who you are today, change, and then you can promise to the values that you're having. But uh, what happens in the end, in the reality, is like the values are not really practical, uh, part of the process or part of the way of doing things, because they are not reflecting from the beginning uh, the real values of the leadership team or whoever has created the culture. And that's the hard conversation, honest conversation that every uh, founder, entrepreneur, manager should have with themselves when they start a company. And if they don't like what they see, so usually I like to start with an audit. Uh, you know, like I talk to everybody and what, how do they describe the company? What do they see? And I, I deliver my diagnosis or what I see to the leadership team or the management. This is your reality. This is the culture you have. This is how people behave. It's not the one that you put on your website. And like, what do we do now? Are we trying to be the people that we claim to be? And what is the hard change and training we need to have for ourselves? Or then let's be honest and let's just put the values that are today. It's it's not, um, uh, I would say it's, it's not uh, glorious, but it's the reality. And that that is uh, where mm-hmm. I see most places, right. unfortunately, and it's not to blame anyone, but it's, uh, it takes discipline. It takes discipline because it's like training. You know, why don't mm. not everyone in this world is working out or having, you know, strict diets? Because we are humans and we are driven by passion, emotion, and it requires discipline yeah. to uh, really follow a certain commitment and behavior, as I described, if you really want to live your values. It probably also requires, or at least most times, like an outside person looking Mm -hmm. in. I feel like once you're really in the culture, it's hard to probably see for yourself how how it actually is. I'm curious, like when you have those conversations with 
leadership and CEOs, et cetera, are they surprised that their culture isn't like what they imagine it to be? Or like, what's the, what's the reaction there? And do they end up um, like how many actually decide to say, okay, this is who we are. Let's lean into it versus, Mm -hmm. okay, it's time to make a change. Um, Because like you said, it also goes back to the expectations, right? You want to present who you actually are. So when you're hiring new people, you get people who... Yeah, the challenge is it touches everything because if you hire also people based on, um, you know, a legacy, uh, then you you keep contributing to a culture that you don't want, but you are not aware of, which is the more hidden culture. Uh, And back to your question, like how how this conversation go with a management team or um, yeah, your your head of studio in the past when I was in this situation. Uh, it's again like the expectation from the beginning. So the good part is that uh, now that I've been more visible, especially with Rise and Play, about how I approach those things, it's not a surprise of what I'm doing when I'm coming. So, uh, for example, when I joined Savage Games, it was expected that I would give the hard feedback. Like they were asking for it. Uh, so they were welcoming it from the beginning and not, oh, acting as a surprise. So they were trusting my process and my approach. And then we do whatever it takes to to get there. So that that's much easier for me to work in uh, in those conditions where what I'm doing is not a surprise. Um, and what I like to see, and yeah. this is where I usually have enjoyed a lot working in the in this kind of environment, is uh, people who have a growth mindset where it, it's they know that they've done the best with what they knew. And they are humble enough. So it's back to the ego as well. Mm-hmm. That is, you, you have uh, the motivation why you started a company or a team. But if you were really committed to build a, a sustainable, long-lasting company, I have seen really executives taking ownership of the feedback they receive. And, oh, it's not pleasant. It's very uncomfortable. But I'm committed to make the change because I, right. my why my why is there. I want to make this company sustainable. And if that means that I need to, I don't know, uh, run every day for one hour, I'm, I'm giving here the analogy, or stop eating sugar uh, to be healthier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that I'll do it and please Impossible. help me. And this is where external help better. Um, I come, of course, as in a time right. where I'm external, but I become internal. And I believe, for example, a lot for uh, leaders out there, executive coaching. Because they are neutral people to help you achieve your goals and they don't have a conflict of interest, like even myself in this position, to, to make things work with an objective of a company, right? They are really supporting an individual to achieve their goals. When there's a commitment from the individual, like I want to get better and I want to change this behavior and I want to change how do I become more aware or how do I practice integrity? How do I make sure that I do what I say? I, I always drift, but uh, what is blocking me to to do that? Then you work with a coach. This is really helpful. This is the fastest way I have found uh, to change your habits. Because you can read a book, but everything is cognitive. You know, it's like I can know the theory that if I work out one hour every day, I'll be healthy. But that doesn't push me, you know, out of bed to do the work, right? So it's uh, yeah. this is where if you want to speed up the change, I really recommend as well having an executive coach. It sounds like just just to kind of summarize everything, a lot of these actionable tips that you're giving in terms of how do you build a leadership team, how do you foster culture and values and all of that, it's not super specific to the games industry, right? I think like any company can can follow this advice. But I'm wondering also, is 
is there something specific that other companies can learn from like gaming in terms of culture and also vice versa? Is there something that gaming needs to work on that other com- like other industries Well, definitely the structure of management. So there's something that for a long time, I joined games because I found it, I found it fun. It's like fun people, you joke all the time. There are things that are sometimes, you know, you would say in a corporate world, quite inappropriate, but it's, you know, in a private context and it, because it's games, you know, it's silly. <laughs> yeah. And so I love, uh, yeah. I, I love this about games. Mm-hmm. And this is something we want to keep in the essence of our work to, you know, to make it entertaining every day. At least that's my motivation. I, I love to consume entertainment. And if I have a the choice, I would make things, everything I do, playful. The reality, unfortunately, and this is what we can learn from other industry that has been more mature, like I said, there's responsibilities. Like these days, I'm having conversation when you want to hire people remotely, you need to have a legal entity. You need to be, like, mm-hmm. you need to be straight. Like, this, those are not fun things, like corporate legal things. I don't enjoy that, but this is part of a responsibility. Yeah. So then you don't end up having people, uh, not having support if there's uh, health issues or uh, taxes, anything illegal. So that I think is still missing um, some maturity for especially younger company. How do we professionalize ourselves so we are sustainable? Uh, and like things like code of conduct, you know, those are very common in corporate worlds. But in gaming, it's like, why do we need a code of conduct? We we just like agree on things verbally and to behave. Unfortunately, when you scale a group organization, yeah. You ha- you, it's almost like a mini society if you want to think about it like uh, to to create, to create yeah, some legislation right. so I think here this is a challenge how to make it uh, playful and something I have found which is more also my motivation is how do I translate those uh, codes those things those processes from out of the gaming industry into gaming where we are in a creative industry and it's like I try to approach it creatively and so everything I created, for example, when I created a playbook, mm-hmm. a, a playbook, sorry, a handbook, I tried to create in a playful way and not like a corporate, mm-hmm. like 50 pages that you have to read and like you start your onboarding days. It's, it's heavy. No, how, do, how can we gamify it? Maybe we can make it interactive yeah. as well. Or uh, renaming jobs. Huh? No, but that's an idea that? I've had. Uh, so I need to find just uh, someone who uh, in, in my yeah. team who would uh, feel passionate about it or create <laughs> illustration animation. So you go through the thing and learn it in an interactive mm-hmm. way. So trying to apply the same principle, how we make games, how can we um, apply the same thinking in how we um, create a company? And I'll give here a concrete example of something that's been on my mind and that I'm um, uh, applying at Savage Games. When I join, and I'm, I'm responsible for uh, people, process, more culture, and I didn't want to approach it in a struct, like formal way, boring way. And I felt like I have product management uh, experience and I have, I've been obsessed for years. Like, how do we make a great onboarding experience for uh, players, the funeral, you know, like every little bit of experience before they get into the game and retention. We think about it all the time. Like, why not applying it at mm-hmm. a company level? How can I design the employee experience from the first uh, point of touch, which is the moment we contact them with a recruiter. How can we have a conversation that translates our culture? How uh, do we make the offer? Uh, how do we celebrate the offer? How is the process of hiring going? How do we do the onboarding as well, reflecting our culture? Every little step of it and then thinking D1, D7 experience, 
deferred year and, and then a year. And um, I transformed then a role that used to be quite administrative office management into what I call exp employee experience management, because it goes beyond just taking care of facility and an office, especially these days when we have hybrid work. So how do you own the whole experience and think of it like, how do you improve the experience of an employee on ev every day and at many levels, right? So then it changes quite the nature right. of the role for what used to be office management and also the type of skills required. Uh, but that's also something that I have, uh, um, yeah, I have started like at Savage Games and uh, transforming the roles and also the skills. And it's been also exciting for people who maybe don't just want to do an administrative role, right? Um, so those kind of things, like thinking about it uh, in a more playful, gamified way. I love that. I think that's such... I'm so super mm -hmm. curious to hear, like, I guess I'll hear in a few months how it works out in uh, Savage, but that's really like, a, I think, a smart way to combine the playfulness that is so like innate to gaming with like what you said, the more mundane, not so fun stuff. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, every company kind of needs to go through. Um, that's genius. Please, I love that. Do. I want to steal that. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steal it. Um, all right. So we're kind of coming up on time. So I wanted to end with um, a couple last questions. Um, it wouldn't be uh, a leadership podcast um, if I didn't talk about um, women in gaming in general, which, you know, a lot of people have been discussing for many years, I think, um, how do we, how do we bring more women into the gaming world and not even just that, but into leadership positions. Um, so I wanted to ask you as, as a, as a strong leader who is also a woman, um, how has your experience been? Um, what do you think the industry, uh, needs to do in order to like keep progressing this forward? Um, and what are your general thoughts, I guess, on the issue as a whole? So I start with the statistics because I have uh, spent some time there. Um, so statistic across industry, it was from a McKinsey report, I think, uh, 2021 or uh, 2022. Um, percentage of uh, women in uh, CSUT roles, or uh, yeah, uh, it was 10%. And we are below that in the gaming industry. So that's also one thing. So usually we are even below the standards of mm -hmm. across all industry. And when it comes to management role, a standard I saw was 35% and still that as well. <laughs> management role, so yeah. any like kind of leadership role. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, still, still, uh, yeah, to go. so this <laughs> is a uh, work to do. Of course, when you look at it, it's <laughs> embarrassing because you think, we're doing well in the industry and no, we are not. Uh, so that's something to acknowledge. And how do we correct that? Historically, of course, uh, the gaming industry has been uh, more accessible uh, to men and also a certain level of education where wealth was. So I will not get into that, but that there's a history. And then today, what can we do, right? So it's acknowledgement. There's a gap. There's an imbalance. And... Again, it comes back to what you believe as a company or as an organization. Do you believe that you will have uh, better results, whether like they are financial or in terms of culture, sustainability, by having more diversity? And gender is one dimension of it, but it's one to begin with. Uh, by having um, diversity, at least in, in gender, uh, especially for roles that are influential, once again, leadership. So we are far behind, and I think more in reality, I've seen more 
10, 15% actually in leadership role, the higher you go, it's actually more 10, 15% rather than 30%. And it's going back to how do you become, do you take a leadership position uh, in general? So promotions, it's through promotion or uh, switching jobs. And uh, the reality, and this is where, this is a message for other leaders in the organization, how people are promoted are based on your own standards. So if you are, I'll give an example, if you are a, a team of executive and men uh, only, or of a certain uh, race, ethnicity, and so on, you are um, uh, valuing certain traits of leadership with already a bias, which is the bias of your group. And if you were aware about that, then this is something you have really yeah. to question are you promoting uh, people based on the right criteria and your right judgment? And this is where I come back to creating a very clear system where it's objective and how you evaluate quality of what makes a leader and not like, I like how that person works or that person is more vocal and has been very proactive and full of initiative, which are, I would say, traits that are embodied a lot by, I would say, men and women having had a lot of discussion as well with women who are have tried to go in executive rooms or are already, it's not because we are not vocal and super loud and shouting in the room that we are not doing the work. So there are ways we are evaluated that are against mm -hmm. us. And it's really important that whoever is promoting people in the organization have an objective view on who deserves to be promoted. And I would encourage as well, um, if you have a spot for a promotion in a room and you have equally two people, uh, a man and a woman who are, good and qualified for the role, there's an imbalance to correct and that's the decision you have to make as an organization. Are you uh, trying to correct an imbalance? Because back to equity, we are not starting from the same point. So that's why it's difficult conversation when we say, I'll uh, promote the ones who's the best. But what who you take for the best is not starting with an equal point where we haven't started from the same point. So some companies, and I believe in that, so I will say it as well with um, confidence where that, that's my personal position especially when hiring, if I have two candidates mm. and uh, equal, equally in skills, but I have just one spot, I would, I would pick the woman because I want to correct the imbalance in, in the organization. It might not be fair, of course, for the male candidate here, but it's an intentional choice of the organization that we want to correct an imbalance uh, when we can evaluate equally the skills because you have to choose. And that the same has happened implicitly in the past where more men in position of power have picked men, you know, in the same situation. So it's it's nothing unfair to what has happened before. But it's everything has to be deliberate to correct that uh, balance. And uh, other ways is I've seen many women starting their own company to become the leader and created their own opportunities. Mm -hmm. And this is another conversation where the same thinking, this is people who own money, investors, are you giving the opportunity and the chance in your pool of whether it's candidates or company you are evaluating, that you have also evaluating objectively women who are presenting the pitch and the ideas with the right lens. And if not, please equip yourself in your team of investors that you have people qualified to assess objectively, you know, for example, if you have pitch coming from women. So that's more my opinion and observation in general for the challenge of having more uh, women in executive roles. There's a ceiling, which is... Uh, defined mm -hmm. by who is evaluating, who is distributing the power or the money. And that can change by right. uh, balancing a bit more the group of power who's making those decisions to uh, evaluate uh, you know, those things ob more objectively.
yeah, hopefully one day that there wouldn't be a need to uh, mm -hmm. continue balancing the imbalance. Um, I think that's the goal that, you know, not just gaming, of course, we say that gaming has, you said, below the benchmarks um, is that, but, yeah. you know, across kind of industries. Um, all right. So on that inspiring note, I guess um, we'll, we'll close uh, for this podcast. I wanted to say thank you so much, Sophie. It's always amazing hearing your insights. They're so fresh and I love the take that you give. Um, anyone listening, like I said before, Sophie has some really great articles on our medium um, and also on her own podcast, um, Rise and Play. So definitely catch her there and uh, we'll Thanks see you next time me. on Level Up. Thanks, everyone.